1: Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the Equalizer Podcast. I'm your host this week, Jeff Kasouf, joined by John Halloran, and we are talking exclusively about the big game that was for the U.S. audience, United States Women's National Team back in action. I'm sure you've heard this number a lot by now. 261 days since their last match, which was March 11th, against Japan in the She Believes Cup. They returned on Friday. To face the Netherlands and were victorious two to nothing um, in, a, in a game that I thought um, I, I posed the question to and Andonovski post game in a way that suggested that I thought they dominated. He said that he didn't think it was quite dominant per se. I think that was maybe a humble assessment, but uh, I really felt like one way traffic, particularly given the circumstances of the year and the opponent um, on display, but two no win for the United States uh, to end the year 2020, I was going to say begin, which uh, it felt maybe John, like uh, beginning end to end all in one, but um, we'll get, we'll get into um, a lot of analysis here on this podcast and, and curious to hear in, you know comments and feedback on our social channels what you all thought and and there's plenty to read about from this game on equalizersoccer.com um, and and just go ahead and subscribe there if you don't already we've got half off your first year so um check out all our premium content there but pregame I want to talk about first which I think is is very important and um should be talked about before we get into some of this analysis uh the players uh, on their jackets in somewhat similar fashion as the men's team who played a couple of games uh, in previous weeks had Black Lives Matter across the front of their Nike warm up tops. Players uh, collectively released a statement pregame just before the match, um, which you can read on, on pretty much any player's social channel, um, discussing, you know, very simply Black Lives Matter and also um, in, at more length um, the. The issue at hand, and, and that, um, you know, I think the line that stood out today we hear Black Lives Matter to affirm human decency. Uh, so you can read those, that statement in full, and, and um, beyond the jackets, the players are mostly all kneeling during the national anthem, which was played in front of an empty stadium there in Breda in the Netherlands. But, um, I, I think just want to play Crystal Dunn's comments post game, um, just in, in full here to let, let her kind of, she answered a question here on, on what the moment meant, you know, that there've been uh, these moments throughout the year and in the NWSL, but what it meant to have that moment in a, a US Jersey this time. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know, representing this national team is, is a complete honor and all the girls on this team completely understand that. And I think, uh, you know, we just wanted to make a stand as a, as a unified, uh, team and, and put out a statement obviously before the game and also, uh, use our right to to exercise that uh, expression as well, obviously, during the anthem. And I think um, we've had incredible conversations as a team during this camp. It was so incredible to get everybody together. And um, I think on this team, we've started that process of
0: just getting involved in, in deeper conversations and starting to get to know each other even better on a deeper level. So I'm I'm truly uh, you know proud of this group for coming together
1: in a short camp and, and really putting forth a powerful message and, and standing unified. So that was Crystal Dunn post-game on um, what that moment meant uh, to have the, the show of, of Black Lives Matter uh, from a team perspective in a U.S. jersey, uh, which I think is is obviously, you know, a huge change from only a few years ago of, of you know, how the, the federation – um, you know, responded to only one player, even, even speaking and, and kneeling. Um, so an important moment there in, in the Netherlands. And I think um, one that's, you know, obviously not just one moment it's, it's continued over from the challenge cup and and now will continue uh, even more so going forward. But um, so, so the game that they played afterward, obviously a, a two nil victory for the U S like I said, a lot to talk about, and, and I've talked plenty here in the intro. So, John, um, takeaways at at a thousand foot level for you from this game to start, and then we can dive into some specifics. But but what did you take away from this match on Friday?
0: I just think the most thing is how impressive the U.S. was. I think if they had come into this game and and lost by a couple of goals, I don't think anybody would have put much stock into it. The fact that they haven't played a game in eight months, the fact that, you know, even even beyond the collective on the individual level, that most of these players have not had much opportunity to play even at the club level, uh, you know, including those who stayed stateside and those who've gone abroad. Um, the fact that they were able to step into this game it's played abroad. It's played against the number four team in the world. It's played against a team that's in the midst of their, their own qualifying campaign. So you would imagine, you know, they're in a little bit better form. Um, for the U.S. to dominate the game and, and I, I think they did as thoroughly as they did was, was very impressive.
1: Yeah, I, I, you know, I expected, um, potential rust from the U.S. I, I really, you know, and I'm not saying it was a perfect performance, but I really didn't see any sign. If you dropped me into this world, not knowing what's been going on for the last nine months, firstly, I'd probably welcome that. But secondly, <laughs> um, you know, I, I wouldn't have been sitting there saying, oh, this team, you know, hasn't, hasn't played or trained together since March. I mean, they're, they're really, you know, maybe some micro moments. I thought there were a few. Miss touches, but nothing that stood out more than maybe your average game of, of an errant touch or two from from players. So, you know, I was very impressed with the U.S. I was underwhelmed by the Dutch. Um, I think a couple maybe news items to to just state up front, for those of you that didn't watch, goals from Rose Lavelle in the first half and Christy Muis in the second half, which is, um, you, you did hear that right, and, and definitely something we will talk about later in the show. And then I think from a, a Netherlands perspective, you know, yes, a team that already qualified for the European championship. So as much as this is an international window and they play Kosovo in a few days, um, you know, it is a team though that has played for the last couple months. Europe got back to, to playing competitively, you know, in September and, and well before the U S did. And um, I just expected more out of them. I don't know. We don't have a lot of information, at least as of recording this, uh, Serena Wegman, the, the Dutch head coach, at least for a little while longer, wasn't present on the bench today. That was announced only maybe an hour or two before the game that she wouldn't be there. It was not COVID-related, but it was described as a family emergency, family matters. Um So, you know, you wonder maybe if at all or how that might have affected the team. I think, you know, not having your head coach there would, would in some way affect the team. Um But, you know, the Netherlands just – What struck me, John, I thought in the first half particularly, the Dutch looked unprepared for high pressure from the U.S., which is not constant and sustained, but is a trademark of the U.S. and has been for years. And they didn't look, they just didn't look ready for that, which was kind of mind boggling.
0: Yeah. And they, um, they coughed it up more than a few times in the back, whether those were errant back passes or, Passes that didn't have enough pace on it. There were a couple of, uh, misplays from their goalkeeper out of the back. And, uh, you're right. They just did not handle that very well. One of the interesting things, and I'd have to double check to make sure these are, these are 100% accurate, but the stat I saw at halftime, I thought was uh, 59-41 possession in favor of the U.S. And then even in the second half, when it kind of flip-flopped, I think it was 62-38 in the second half, none of that possession seemed dangerous. So even when they did break the press, it doesn't seem like they did much with that possession. And so the U.S. being able to pin them back in the first half and then even give them the ball a little bit more uh, or or maybe leave off that pressure a bit in the second half, it didn't seem to make much of a difference either way.
1: Yeah, and, and mostly a uh, starting 11 for the U.S. that you'd expect in this game. Uh, listen, yeah. Aaron Nett, Becky Sauerbrunn, Abby Kemper in the back, Kelly O'Hara, Crystal Dunn in the flanks, Lavelle Ertz, Sam U.S. midfield, and then Press Heath and Lynn Williams getting the nod up top, um, as Alex Morgan works her way back. She did come in at halftime. The Dutch were without Viv Miedema, which is a significant absence, obviously. I don't know if it necessarily makes a difference on the day, but but certainly gives them a little bit more of an option up top, even to release from that pressure, which which they didn't seem to to be able to deal with. But, John, I know you were impressed with the the three-woman midfield here. This is the same group, uh, the same midfield, almost the same team from that 2019 final, which this was a rematch of. Uh, Ertz, Lavelle, Mewis. Lavelle with the goal, if you haven't seen it and you're listening, you're missing out, find that goal, find that highlight. But um this mu this this midfield, this Mewis, Mewis too, but this midfield didn't miss a beat, I don't think.
0: Yeah, and, you know, it's funny because you're going through the lineup here and, you know, we're talking about nine of the 11 starters from the World Cup final were in this lineup. And I do think it was probably the strongest lineup they could have fielded even with those two missing players considering the roster, right? I mean, we heard multiple times this week from, from Vladko Andonovsky that Alex Morgan wasn't 90 minutes, 90 minutes fit. So it wasn't surprising, uh, to, to see, you know, Kristen Press or Lynn Williams, uh, in the starting lineup there and then Megan Rapinoe, not, not available either. So, I mean, this is basically, uh, what you saw a year and six months ago or a year and five months ago in, in Lyon. Um, but I, you know, Lavelle's goal, it too, you know, you mentioned how how high of a quality was too, but it's uh it, a little bit reminiscent of the goal she scored in that world cup final that she took the player to the right, brought it back to her left. Um, you know, the, the finish was different and it was from a slightly different angle, but both from the top of the box, uh, both very well-placed shots, both, you know, taking a defender one-on-one and, uh, for her to put that top shelf the way she did. And then to watch, um, van Veenendael she didn't she barely moved mm-hmm. when that when that shot came off Lavelle's foot and uh just tucked it into that upper upper far post uh terrific finish on that
1: well i'm glad i published my first analysis piece already so i can't be accused of stealing your idea here because i thought exactly the same that it was the goal was reminiscent of the one that lavelle scored against the dutch in the final just instead of carrying the ball 40 yards she made a run after you know she was a run off the ball after helping basically create that turnover as part of some team pressure, uh, but similarly cutting inside on the left foot. So yeah, totally agree. And I thought Sam Mewis in this, you know, it, it wasn't, um, this is kind of stating the obvious, but it was clear, um, the, the players who are playing regularly in England right now, not that anybody in the U S looked really off, which we've, we've kind of alluded to in these opening 10 minutes, but I thought the players who are in England right now, you know, you could tell that they were just maybe a step ahead, and I thought Mewis, she's been doing this for Man City for a few months now, and, and looked spectacular, making those late surging runs that that the Dutch just could not figure out how to track throughout the match, and I think. The FAWSL is trying to figure that out as well. But, you know, I thought, you know, from, from what Sam Lewis was doing in that position and, and against, you know, this high of a quality of an opponent, but also even, you know, from what, what was physically being done to even, I thought this game, you know, it was one nil no at the half because of this great Rose Lavelle goal. Um, we say this about a lot of games, but I think it probably should have even been 2-2 two to two or 3 for the U.S. by halftime. And, um, the problem there, I guess, you know, maybe this was the rustiness coming out was the Dutch got caught out a few times, whether, you know, Lynn Williams on the, the right flank at one point turns her defender, gets in behind and then just doesn't see that there's kind of a ball to be played in behind for Tobin Heath. And then I think it was actually Heath a little bit later in the half. Um Might've been Heath or, or Dunn, but, but it was Mewis who was in behind in a similar fashion and just, she wasn't found in stride and she was just, you know, the ball was played probably a step too late. Um, and I thought you could see, you could visibly see some frustration from Heath, I thought, throughout this match that she seemed to be a step or two ahead of, of some teammates, you know, including, I think, most most of them who are not playing regularly right now. So I did think there was a little bit of a, a gap there.
0: Heath's defensive effort, I thought, was outstanding too, which I don't think, uh, yeah, I didn't see referenced anywhere. Um, among some of the people watching the game, but I thought she did a terrific job. You saw it right from the beginning too. I think it was. It might have even been in the first. It was. It was in the first minute of play, where um she pressured the right back, took the ball off her foot, went in on goal, uh, played that ball across, and and neither Williams or Press was there on that one. But uh, you could see right from the get go, Heath was hungry today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Who um who else impressed you? today john uh, from from let's let's talk u.s i guess for our u.s based audience
0: i think the defense probably had um, a strong game that a lot of people weren't really talking about i thought that uh, becky Sauerbrunn was fantastic Uh, i really thought kelly o'hara and crystal dunn had very nice games on the outside not only getting forward and helping but defensively you know, when you—I was so shocked when they put that stat up on the screen. It was the 80th minute of play, and they showed the the shot count was 13-0 <laughs> for yeah. the U.S. and it finished 14-2, and the Dutch did not get a single shot on frame that entire game. So, you know, obviously some of that's due, you know, to the defensive effort of the forwards and and obviously the work that the midfield was doing. And I thought Julie Ertz was just just breaking up play after play after play in that midfield, but uh, the defense did a terrific job. And for an area that I think a lot of people, if they had to pick, you know, maybe an area um, that you could you could take advantage of the U.S., they might pick the defense. And I thought the the defense tonight just did a fantastic job.
1: Yeah, hundred percent agreement. I thought Becky Sauerbrunn might have been the player of the match, and and you know that's partly the fact that the Netherlands, as much as I thought that they were as we said earlier on this pod, a little bit curiously unprepared for what the U.S. was doing. I think you have to give credit to that U.S. back line for that, that stat too. I was a little bit um, – well, I just wasn't tracking these stats. You know, I, I tried to almost shut down the computer to watch these games to, to not be distracted and with varying degrees of success. But that 13-0 shot stat came up, as you said, with only a few minutes to play, and I thought, goodness gracious. I mean, I knew right. this was – was one sided but um, yeah, I thought positional awareness from sauerbrunn, even that opening twenty minutes she stepped to three or four different balls, whether she won it you know in front of a player or was immediately on her back and, and forced play backwards. Uh, I thought she was very good, and you know I think she 's someone that we should talk about briefly in this you know at least mention here i don 't know if you had any thoughts on this and, and i don 't know that there 's much to say based on vlakunovski 's answer post game but I do think it's notable that that performance comes, you know, Sauerbrunn's a player who, who also, I think quietly this year didn't play a lot because there were players who skipped the challenge cup or skipped the fall series. And we made note of that as, you know, obviously they're right to do sensible given the scenario of health concerns and everything. But, you know, this meant they weren't playing for a long stretch. Sauerbrunn had these long stretches just, because of injury she played the one game in the challenge cup and then that was that. Um, so we didn't see a lot of Sauerbrunn this year either, but I thought she was great. And, you know, it comes with her wearing the captain's armband for the first time in three full years. And that's not lost on me because, you know, I think we don't necessarily know, um, you know, I asked Flakon Nanovsky post game, was that a circumstance of the day, you know, with, with various absences, you know, from, people who have been wearing the armband, at least in the previous era. Um, and he said he said he hasn't thought much at all about who the captain is going to be long-term, and, and he didn't give much thought to that today. It was just felt like the right thing to do on the day for the game. But, you know, Sauerbrunn was one of the captains in this rotating armband under Jill Ellis, and yep. I think it's easy to forget three years ago, two years ago or so, you know, was quietly – removed from that. She never had a bad word to say about it. And I think that's why it was a quiet removal because it never became a thing. But, you know, it's noticeable that three years later, um, to be having the army. I think she wore it once or twice after, you know, in some friendly too, where everybody got subbed off or something. But in terms of like walking out there pregame and, and, having that on the entire 90. Um, it's been three years. So I don't know. I don't know if that's a coincidental performance for me that that happened on the same day. I mean, she's obviously a pro and, and is always great anyway, but um, maybe it stood out a little bit more because of the context.
0: Well, and I think too, as you mentioned, because she did try to play in the Challenge Cup, but then I think it was she, she had that collision, I think, with Lynn Williams in that first game and then you know missed the rest of the tournament, I think with a hip injury. And the fact that she hasn't played a competitive match really in five months and to go out there and have the game that she did. Because, listen, I mean, if we're being honest, I think we've all talked about at some point, whether publicly or not, that, you know, there's going to need to be a changing of the guard at center back. And it doesn't look like it's going to (laughs) happen, certainly before the the 2021 Olympics uh, with the performance that she put out there today. And, you, you know, I think the thing with the captain's armband, in a normal situation, you know, you'd expect it to, to perhaps be Alex Morgan or Carly Lloyd or something like that and with, with Morgan not starting and Lloyd not there. Uh, it, it does seem kind of a natural evolution to, to go with Sauerbrunn, but, uh, she had a nice game. And for somebody who took a long break there, it, I, I think that makes it even more impressive.
1: Yeah, and she did. She did end up playing a, a decent amount in the fall series. Only one full ninety at the very end, so it was you know a progression to to get back to that point. But um, you know, still, I guess, like many players, you know, in this in this squad and this year, um, you're still talking about cumulatively, you know, just just doing the the rough math. Maybe three full nineties over the course of you know, the, the equivalent of three games. So, um, you know, really not a ton of, of action, three or four games. So, um, you know, impressed with, with Sauerbrunn there. Um, Okay. We're going to take a a quick break here and we'll come back. We'll keep talking USA Netherlands here. Uh, We still need to talk about not just the second goal, but I think the story around that a little bit and maybe look forward to, what we can glean from this, if anything, going forward, because there's not a lot of time to the Olympics. And, and I guess everybody continues to use the qualifier of assuming everything stays on track for the Olympics. So uh, this has been the Equalizer podcast. We'll be right back after this break. Hey everybody! Thanks for listening to the Equalizer podcast. I want to make sure that you're also aware of the Equalizer's other podcast called Kicking Back, which I host. I'm your host, Jeff Kasouf. Each week, I speak with a player, coach, personality from across the world of women's soccer for insight into their career and some current events. It's a nice, casual conversation. Hence. We're kicking back. Recent guests have included Vladko Andinovsky, Christy Muis talking about her comeback to the US national team, Jen Hildreth, the voice of the NWSL, Kelly Simmons from the FAWSL, Vero Boquete, and recently Heather O'Reilly. Really great conversations on kicking back. So if you like the Equalizer Podcast, please go ahead and listen to kicking Back. Find us on any podcast platform, including the one you're listening to right now. We have a couple more great shows planned for the end of the year. And a lot more planned for 2021. Now let's get back to the Equalizer podcast. We're back here on the Equalizer podcast. I'm Jeff Kasouf, your host, joined by John Halloran. And I uh, want to make sure, please go ahead and rate and review this podcast. Helps us a lot. You give us those five stars. It boosts us in some magical algorithmic way up the charts so that more people can discover this podcast. And uh, if you subscribe, you won't miss a thing. So go ahead and please do that. And we will be back as we are every week to talk all things US, NWSL. We've got plenty of European action coming up, uh, Champions League returns soon. So here, though, we are talking some more about USA Netherlands US women's national team first game in over 8 months 2-0 victory over the Netherlands on Friday pretty dominant performance we've talked uh, quite a bit about Rose Lavelle some of the midfield Becky Sauerbrunn we just spoke about and the defensive effort um and I think the other thing that we need to talk about we haven't touched on the the second goal at all here yet the year of Christy Mewis continues i you know as much as I have been sold and a believer on, you know, uh, her, her comeback here and her form and everything, it just keeps going. I mean, there was the challenge cup, obviously there was the fall series where she kept that going. Then the call up to the October camp and then this call up. And I think even, you know, most people, I think would look at this and say, she got this call up, you know, even at that point can't necessarily expect, Anything in terms of even minutes, never mind, you know, sustained action or getting on a score sheet. And here she is coming in in the second half in a midfield tandem with Sam Mewis, her sister. Christy Mewis' first cap in six years, first goal in seven years. U.S. Soccer says it's the longest between goals, 2,722 days. (laughs) Um, A great goal. And I just... I don't know. This is an amazing story. I don't know what it means going forward still. I think it certainly means she's in the mix to some degree, John. But I I just, like, I can't get over what 2020 has been. There's no better story, certainly in U.S. women's soccer, over the past 12 months. It's
0: been great, right? She got that call up, I think it was last December, which I think, you know, probably gave her some, some motivation. I think it was that ID camp. Um, right. to kind of continue that trajectory that had started, you know, on the upward after her, her knee injury the year before, uh, has that great challenge cup, as you mentioned, gets into the October camp, gets into this camp. It's it'd be interesting to see, you know, you talk about what this means for the future, because obviously Lindsay Horan was not a part of this camp. So you wonder, and we had talked, I think maybe two weeks ago about the pool of midfielders. And when you add. Haran in there and now Mewis and Macario seems to kind of be on the, the brink of, of working her way into this team. Um, and then that's not even talking about players like Morgan Gatra and Ali Long, who you would assume are somewhere on the fringes of that group. Andy Sullivan. Um, it's, it's, it's going to be interesting, but you're right. It's an absolutely terrific story. And, uh, I think everybody kind of knows how hard she's worked and, you know, we, we've talked too about the, her career arc has been so interesting because if, if we were doing this podcast in 2013, we'd be talking about Christy Mewis, the next big thing, uh, for the, for the U.S. national team. And then by 2014, she's out of the picture and then she plays for, I think eight clubs over the next five years. And, um, it really just doesn't seem to go. The way that anybody expected, but over the past 12 months, it's done a complete 180, and she seems to be uh, back where a lot of us maybe would have expected her to be if, if we had uh, again gone back in time, maybe eight years.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I know I tease a lot of other content we have, but but the uh, kick and back pod, I spoke with Christy Mewis about six weeks ago maybe, and that was before even the, the call-up. Well, actually, it was right when she got the call-up to the October camp, but um, spoke in depth about that, you know, those in-between years, the the knee injury being the turnaround, and, you know, even the week. I don't know. She, she didn't mind, I guess, you know, to some degree that I was reminding her of this, but there was that week, as I'm sure you recall, John, that she got traded from Washington to Chicago. Yeah. She scores for Chicago <laughs> in was- this game that she comes on for, you know, a few minutes, and then she's traded – in a few days to Houston, she played one game in Chicago and then Houston, you know, is where she kind of settles, but then she has the knee injury. Um, so it's really been incredible. And I think to your point there about going back in time, I mean, even then, you know, she was playing for Vlako Um He did, he gave himself the shout out, which he has every right to. Uh, he's done some great drafting. He said on the post game call Friday, uh, I will go back to, uh, you know, Christy Mewis was my first draft, <laughs> um, you know, so, but, but she was playing fullback for that, that FC Kansas City team. And I think, um, you know, that was potentially, she kind of floated around positions for the U.S. in that, that Sermani era. Um, but, you know, I, I think it is a good reminder because, you know, the the thing you said about her being the next big thing, which I, I almost have forgotten about. I mean, that is a long time ago, you know. Um, I, I think it's a good reminder too on, you know, this is what we're saying now about Macario. I think Mal Pugh is a player where that's been said for a few years now, really, um, almost a full cycle, really. And and obviously she's had some injuries. She's had some struggles. You know, another player we're not even necessarily talking about it right now, but the depth of this team is, is you know, a player is going to, at least have something to say about, you know, the Olympic spots. Um, you know, I think it's just probably a good reminder that these paths are not linear. And, right. and as much as Christy Mewis is, I think, an exception to to the rule in terms of, you know, being away from the team for six full years, there's there's not many examples. I mean, like I said, longest between goals. And uh, Aaron Heifetz, the press officer who announced that on the press conference said, it was 2000 something days between goals for Lori Kolopny, which is pretty close to that number, but also a good reminder to Lori Kolopny, totally different circumstances, but you know, these things do happen every so often, but you know, there's, there's no linear path and that's, you know, Christy Muir is coming back. That is Jess McDonald and the getting their first taste of things, you know, at, at age 30, basically. Um, so I think it's a, it's probably a good reminder for for all of us as we uh anoint the the teenagers <laughs> and uh and then quickly abandon ship on them as we uh as we kind of um they don't progress as quickly as we maybe think they should so um a reminder to to self i guess and to everybody but um you know th- that's probably something to to talk about there too and and um just wanted to talk about a few other points um from this game because Um, I do think Mewis, Christy Mewis, you know, is a a big story. And and a couple others that will probably get underplayed, but first caps for Sophia Smith and Jalen Howell um, from the same town in Colorado, which is is kind of a neat little, like, thing you might read as a TV announcer or something, uh, you know, on a world feed or something. But, um, you know, I, I think Sophia Smith, if you want to feel old, the first player from the 2000s, born in the 2000s, to To appear for the senior national team. And, you know, again, Howell may be less so at the moment just from a hype perspective, but, you know, Sophia Smith and then Katarina Macario, obviously, who didn't play in this game, are two players that, if you listen to Vlaka Manonofsky talk, if you kind of take the temperature of the room around U.S. soccer, are like, you know, these are two players that they think that are going to be built around for the next 10 years, um, I don't know if I can say what did you take from Sophia Smith's performance, John, because it was only a few minutes, but a couple of debuts. Uh, are you encouraged by them? What do you think they mean? You know, big picture.
0: You know, I, I don't think they mean a lot to be honest with you because the depth at both of those positions is so incredibly deep that, uh, if, if I'm being totally honest, I'd, I'd be shocked if either of them even makes the 2021 Olympic team at this point. Now we're, seven months, eight months away from that, you know, decision being made. So maybe something changes, but, uh, you know, look at the players in front of both of them. It's a great moment for them. I'm not trying to take that away, but if you're, you know, if you're trying to look at predictions, we, we just got done having that discussion about Christy Mewis and Mal Pugh and um some of these other players that, uh you know, look, look at the depth at forward, look at the depth uh, at center mid. Um, you know, the players that Howell and Smith are, are going to have to compete against. Um, it's great for them. And, you know, obviously they both have the talent to be very good players in the future. But in the immediate near term, especially when we are within one year of a major tournament, uh, and especially one that has a smaller roster than a World Cup, um, I think there are opportunities to get significant minutes uh, if and when we ever return to something resembling a normal world um, will be pretty limited until after the Olympic Games.
1: Now, Howell, I totally agree with you on Smith. I, I mean, maybe I agree to an extent. I mean, the the injury this year didn't help because I think she could have gotten some more reps in with Portland than you know than she did really, and I think that probably hurt her just in in some fashion. But I know I don't argue at all about the depth chart. I just I just there's something about the Level of excitement around her, um, and I think it's going to depend on you know. Like I think I said this on the pod a couple weeks ago, but it's worth just reiterating if anybody's listening and wondering, there are injuries. I mean, Lindsay Horan is not here because uh, she tested positive for COVID before the test or before the game and, and departing for the game, so she stayed home. But you know, there's there's Carly Lloyd, um, who's basically a nine now, as we know. Um, there's Megan Rapino you know, on the, on the wing. Um, and Vlako has said in these past few weeks that he expects both of them and Malpugh, Uh I think he basically expects everybody in this January camp. So um, there is, you know, I think we'll find out a lot, but we don't know, you know, we don't know a lot about where some of these players are are at because of some of these injuries, because there haven't been a lot of games. So, you know, I do get the sense from Ananovsky that, any position really is is fair game. I mean, I think he, you know, we were talking a lot before this pandemic about he's going to have a very hard decision to make and probably some outside influence about it on whether he takes Alex Morgan to the Olympics, assuming she feels ready and everything, you know, in 2020. And obviously that, the Olympics didn't happen. And, and I think, you know, she already is, I want to talk about this in a second. She's already back on the field. And, you know, I, I think barring unforeseen circumstances is your number nine for, for the Olympics in 2021, but he's still going to have some hard decisions with, you know, he, he said Carly Lloyd, Megan Rapino. I think those are two big ones. Mal Pugh, maybe one a on that list of like decisions that are going to be, need to be made. And, you know, there've been injuries here, but Rapino. Um, I think, interestingly, was classified differently in these releases of, you know, yeah. between, there was a distinction made between injury and injury concerns. And I think that, uh, I mean, that was expanded upon in one of these conference calls by Anonofsky, which was that, you know, she just hasn't trained um a, as part of what this year has been. and And that was the concern to bring her into a short camp like this game, where they had six days to train for it. But where does that leave things for January with f- maybe eight games at maximum before the olympics and and players in form? I don't know. I don't think I'd totally dismiss Sophia Smith from the picture. I do think she needs to jump a few people, but
0: that, right that's the thing like if you look at this if you look at this from a, a roster perspective of thinking that the Olympics is probably going to be twenty players, right or is twenty players, so you're probably going to bring five forwards, so you've got Heath press uh assuming Morgan, Williams, Rapino, that's five, and that's not even counting Carly Lloyd. So that's six. And now you add in, you know, what is what currently looks like the bubble, which is Smith, Pugh, Hatch, Bolser. Um you you gotta have Smith not only come out on top of that bubble, but then leapfrog Lloyd or Rapino, I think, to make the roster, or maybe both. Uh, if they only bring five forwards, and so just from a pure numbers perspective, it just seems like such a reach and for Blackco, he'd have to be really sure that's the right choice because you make a decision like that in an Olympic Games and it goes wrong, obviously um, you could argue that that happened in twenty sixteen with Ellis, you know she brings uh Pew and she brings uh, a rapino who's not a hundred percent healthy and leaves. Heather O'Reilly on there as an alternate and they probably could have used one more attacking player. Like you you just don't have any room to make any mistakes with an Olympic roster. So um I, I really think she has a lot to prove over the next 7 months uh to be mm-hmm. able to leapfrog one of those players because you know those you know what those other players are going to give you.
1: Well, I'll make it even harder for you because it's 18. So <laughs> it's it's a very small roster. Yes, I think if this is a World Cup, I think you use maybe a couple of those spots on bringing one of those players and seeing what you can do. And, and you don't really, I guess the U S proves us wrong in 2019 about this because they went 22 deep, but um, you don't really have to go 23 deep in a world cup per se. Um, at least to the extent, you know, I think you could try it, but with 18 players in the Olympics. Yeah. I mean, we mm-hmm. saw this, but that's the thing we saw this with Rapino in 2016. I think that's what we were, a different version of it was maybe being looked at for 2020 with that decision around Morgan and and where she would have been at come August, uh, 2020, but you know, you still have it. I I agree with you. You know what you're getting, but I I don't know, you know, I don't know if you know what you're getting 2021 version. I think you have to see that in January camp from these players coming back. And then you have to see it maybe in a, a game environment at a, she believes in February, assuming that happens as they expect it to. And then you kind of see where you're at, but it'll be interesting for sure, um, to see where, where some of these kind of fringe players, cause you're right. You've, you've said a few of them on this pod already. There, there are players who haven't even been in these recent camps that you would still consider in the mix to whatever degree, um, that, that need to be considered. So, um, well, we talked about some debuts there. We talked about the big, Christy Mewis' comeback, one other comeback, which we just alluded to, Alex Morgan, uh, 45 minutes coming in at the start of the second half. Um, First minutes for the U.S. since that 2019 final against the Netherlands. And she's played a few games now for Tottenham, had a little bit of a delay, a setback in in getting back on the field for Spurs there, um, you know, November instead of September. But um, any takeaways? From her, I mean, I didn't think she, I didn't think she looked out of step or out of place in any way for the 45 minutes.
0: Yeah. And I don't think you can draw a ton of conclusions. Right. Um, there's, there's just not, I mean, she put, she put done in at one point. Um, I thought there was, there was a point too, where she actually chased down a long ball and, and got to it before a defender. So I thought that was a good sign in terms of, you know, any questions about whether she's, she's gotten her speed back. Um, I thought that, that she, she had two good defensive moments in there too, um, where she had either put pressure or picked off a loose pass. Um, but one other thing about Morgan that doesn't get talked about, and I know you wrote about this during the world cup, but her role in the team is not what it was when she first came into the team. And so you also need to know what Vlatko is expecting out of his nine um and it you know if it's not necessarily the same that Ellis wanted and not necessarily the same as what Morgan was when she first came into the team because you know when she came into the team she was a forward who was used to get behind defenses and then what we saw in 2019 was much more of a hold up forward role and somebody to to hold the ball and let the wingers get forward and let the midfield come up and join the attack and we know that that Vlatko um, you know, whether he's used press or Williams there has, has, I think, looked at that role slightly differently.
1: I love when you tease content, John, because I think we're going to probably republish that story as part of a, a forward series in the very near future. So, yes, I agree with you on Morgan. Um, and, and that actually probably leads to, I think, the last thing that that I wanted to talk about here um, at the forward position. I'm trying to think if there's anything other, any other notables. Midge Purse got some time at fullback. Emily Sonnet as well. Um, I think that's that's probably it for just sort of quick notes. Um, but, the, but the last thing for me really being that forward position and Lynn Williams gets the start on the day, on Friday against the Netherlands. Kristen Press obviously up there, you know, the front three being Press, Heath, Williams. And I, I almost, you know, again, she believes Cupfield so long ago and I had to be reminded by... ESPN broadcast how spectacular press was as that nine in this similar type of situation in March um, was very good and and scored some spectacular goals in that tournament. And also though, um, Lynn Williams, you know, she fell out of favor with Jill Ellis. I think if you don't know the story, you can read up from, from many different profiles and and things we've done uh, on Lynn and with Lynn on, on this and, not necessarily understanding why often criticized by, by a lot of folks as uh, for her conversion rate with the courage, which is a chicken and egg of, of how many chances they create. Um, but in, in the Vladko Anonofsky era, and I think from the very get go, the, the minute he took over, there was a marked shift in the view of what Lynn Williams is and could be for the national team. And I think he's carried that, you know, he hasn't, that's carried right over after eight months of of absence for this team with her starting this match, um, going the full length of it. You know, there's a fluidity that exists because she is really a nine, but obviously she has the pace to play on the wings. And I thought we saw that with some, some interaction um, as, as, you know, press Heath and Williams kind of floated uh, between roles while they played up there together on Friday. So I'm curious, you know, uh, let me be direct, John. Is is Lynn Williams on your Olympic roster right now?
0: Right now, yes. Um, here's the thing I think that is maybe a more nuanced take about her, her finishing. Um, I think it's unfair to make that criticism when she's with the courage because in a lot of cases she's creating those chances out of thin air. And so if she misses them, nobody else was going to create that chance anyway. But I thought the ones that you saw at least tonight were, were ones that were created from a team buildup, and those are chances that she probably does need to do better with. I think she had three or four that she she put over the net, um, didn't challenge the keeper, and um, so I think in, the, in that case, you know, she needs to be a little bit cleaner. But I think that right now, if you look at this, it's Heath Press and Williams are the only three that have been consistently healthy over the past year in that pool, right? I mean, Morgan is coming off a pregnancy. Rapino, I think the last time she played was March. Um, Carly Lloyd has uh, apparently had a surgery that I don't think we even knew about until it got mentioned uh, during one of the press calls this week. And then, as you mentioned, Smith. So you're really looking at uh, Heath, Press, and Williams as your three consistently healthy uh forwards right now and then you've got Morgan Rupino and Lloyd as kind of the next three or as uh, you know we were talking about earlier Smith makes that four.
1: Yeah, really good point about the health of those forwards. I think, you know, all in good form obviously, but maybe that is also a product of the the year that was and and who is uh who's healthy and who's not because um yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm interested to see. I think, you know, Williams we talk about comeback stories too. It's not quite, you know, the length of time for Christy Mewis and, and it's 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 just a different story. I mean, Williams was in and around the team and has been in the team for even, you know, quote unquote major tournament I mean qualifying tournaments and whatnot, but um, you know, hasn't didn't go to the World Cup, I think is is obviously the big thing. So um, making an Olympic roster, which is more limited, you know, right after a World Cup roster that she was left off of, I think would be a, a pretty interesting sort of, uh, what do we call it, John? I don't know. A miniature comeback, a resurrection of sorts, um, a reappreciation. How about a that? Reappreciation. R E dash appreciation. Um, well, I think that's, that's all we've got. Um, as I say that as if we didn't talk for 45 minutes, but, um, us two nil winners over the Netherlands. What's next. If you're wondering, um, I will again, direct you to our equalizer content, but I will abbreviate some of it here, which is, you know, the hope is a January camp, which is what they do every year. I don't know. I mean, I assume that's, you know, that's often in LA. It's been in Florida, I think recently even. So somewhere warm and somewhere isolated. And then, You know, Kate Markgraf says she's confident that she believes Cup is going to happen and that they've got some of the the protocols and logistics down. I don't know who wants to come here to the U.S. I mean, hopefully it's better by March or, well, February. Sorry, it would be February. Um, Hopefully it's better. I can't assume – I have to assume there wouldn't be fans, and that would probably – that would leave me to believe it might be a single event type of venue. I don't know. You know, I'm speaking totally – off the cuff here and not reporting this, but I would think there'd be some logistical advantages to like a, a, Walt Disney world complex where MLS just did it. Um, where Florida is often a she believes cup site anyway, and is on the East coast to get European teams over spitball in there, but, um, maximum of eight games in these FIFA windows. I don't know if the U S tries to play outside of them and get a, you know, maybe you could get Canada to do that. I don't know if you want to try that with with NWSL trying to start up and Challenge Cup and all those scheduling logistics. But, um, yeah, I guess the word, the word of the hour, the operative word is hopefully. I think we heard that a lot in these pregame calls this, this week, but hopefully the Olympics happen, um, safely. And then hopefully, uh, there are some games before that, John. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> I, I'd like to go to, you know, the grocery store and the gym and eat at a restaurant too. So um, we'll see about a lot of things, I guess. But we we at least we had some soccer back, you know, as far as we know, safely. Everything happened uh, safely on, on both teams' accounts. And, um, you know, best wishes on the U.S. traveling back safely with everything going on. And um, hopefully you're all safe out there. Thanksgiving just passed. If you celebrate, happy Thanksgiving. And, um, thanks for joining us on the the equalizer podcast for another edition. I'm Jeff Kasouf, John Halloran. Thanks for, for chatting here and, um, we'll catch you next week on this podcast. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet.